We are um, excited that you're here with us this morning, whether you're here or online. Um, thank you for the opportunity to uh, share Genesis together. Um, it's it's an amazing opportunity to walk through this book, and um, this morning I think is, is kind of poignant. I think God is... Uh, in his sovereignty, as he always does, I think puts some things in our path that I think are really good reminders, and I think you're going to see that this morning, um, that no matter what your week has been like, um, no matter uh, where you've walked through, um, I think that we often can forget the fact that we are not only made in God's image as humanity, but we need other human beings next to us um, on a regular basis. And so uh, hopefully you're going to see all that it means to be made in God's image. Uh, and that's where we're going to be heading this morning in Genesis chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. We're going to try and tackle Genesis chapter 2 together this morning. As always, there are booklets in the back that look like this. Um, you can take notes in these. There are resources in the front as well for you to grab during the week if you feel like that is something uh, that would be helpful for you. And um, moving along in, in Genesis chapter 2. So as we think of what it means to be made in God's image, um, I was kind of curious, and so I kind of thought, what is, what is out there as far as the definition or thoughts when it comes to the idea of being a human being? Uh, this term, imago Dei, uh, has been around for years and 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 centuries, and uh, it's a term that is this idea of made in God's image. And so I thought, let's, let's kind of figure that out. So one of the easiest ones that popped up really quick was uh, uh, PBS definition, which we all go there, don't we? I mean, whenever we wonder, like, what, what to think, we always go, what would PBS have to say? Uh, I understand. But, but let me just kind of walk through. It's kind of interesting findings here. And this was really recent as far as what they uh, said when it comes to this idea of uh, being made in God's image. To say that humans are in the image of God is to recognize the special qualities of human nature— which allow God to be made manifest in humans. In words, for humans to have the conscious recognition of their being in the image of God means that they are the creature, they are the creature, the creature through whom God plans and purposes can be made known and actualized. Goes on. Uh, however, I'm sorry, humans differ from other creatures because of their rational structure, their capacity of deliberation, free decision-making. Their freedom gives the human a centeredness and completeness which allows the possibility for self-actualization and participation in sacred reality. Good, we're glad we're there. And then it moves on. I thought this was really interesting. And then it says this. However, the freedom which makes the human in God's image is the same freedom which manifests itself in estrangement from God as the myth of the fall Adam and Eve exemplifies. According to this myth, humans can, in their freedom, choose to deny or repress their spiritual and moral likeness to God. The ability and desire to love oneself and others, and therefore God, can become neglected and even opposed. To which I would say, you're so close, right? Uh, so is, is the PBS definition, we are going to be studying a text in Genesis chapter 2 that they believe is a myth, uh, and many would probably uh, agree with that. Add on top of that, that James author Arthur Baldwin, an American novelist, playwright, and activist, wrote this. He says... He's well-known in social justice and all these kind of pieces that are around right now. He was a big activist when it came to racial reconciliation, which was awesome. But he says this, We can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. Which is the biggest explanation and the biggest uh, battle right now is this idea of what does it mean to be human? Because most fights you're going to see uh, in culture today, they say you're coming against my humanity. To say that uh, you, you, you don't accept me in some form or function is because you don't accept my humanity, which is a big thing, which just quick resource on that. There's a really good book called Gender Ideology. 
Um, what do Christians need to know? And this is just a really big information dump on what does it mean to be made in God's image. Uh, and so that will be available as well, just as a rabbit trail. Hopefully, the goal is we're going to start to put some resources back in the lobby for you during the series. So if you hear something that's set up here, you can kind of look and look at it back there. But, but this idea of gender and ideology and, and this right to exist is that really it's becoming a human issue. Add on top of that, uh, we're also asking what it means to be human. We're asking, in the midst of being human, what does it mean to be enough as a human being, which is another great resource, which again, Cluosity, great book if you're looking for another read. So those are my two plugs. You're done. Okay, so as we think of what it means to be a human, there's a lot of different definitions. Bioethics can give us one. Gender choice is a big issue right now. Genomes, that would, which came back in 2005 and 2012, and tracing genomes to chimpanzees and bonobo monkeys, and what does that mean for us? These are just a few of the obstacles in front of us as disciples of Christ as we go into this this idea of being made, created in God's image. Add on top of all of that, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, add to all of that, that Moses was writing Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and he did not write Genesis chapter 1 or 2 to debate the current evolutionary option of creation. So we're kind of stuck with a lot of these different things. And on one end, you can say, well, that's kind of depressing. I don't really, where are we going to land on this? Uh, The other end, I would say, here's the reality, though. Even though Moses didn't exactly write this to give us an evolutionary approach to humanity, we know, and hopefully you know, the good news is this, is that the Bible is sufficient, and the Bible is clear on where we're going to head today when it comes to being created in the image of God. The Bible is sufficient, or to quote the great Charles Spurgeon, the Word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. You just get to turn it loose. So that's what we're going to be heading into when we look at Scripture this morning, because only Scripture can give us a definition of what it means to be human. And it is from Scripture that we get this Latin term, imago Dei, to be human, to be made in the image of God. Now, again, some quick intro. What it is and what is not human— I honestly believe cannot be defined by science. And there are others who would agree with this statement, that if we're going to truly understand what it means to be human, we cannot get it from science. Even UC Berkeley uh, gives us this amazing stat. He says, science, con- science con- I'm sorry, the misconception is that science contradicts the existence of God. The correct approach to this is science cannot support or contradict the existence of a supernatural entities because it deals only with natural phenomena and explanations. So for us to get an explanation from science about what it is to be a human, I don't believe it's possible because they only deal with natural phenomenon and the explanations there. There is no God in that world for the most part, and so they cannot give us a concept like Imago Dei. Science cannot give us a a concept like Imago Dei. It can tell us DNA. It can trace genomes. It can give us plenty of needed things, but it is no means a way to understand what it means to be really fully human. I would say as well, uh, politics, and you may know this, but politics cannot help us on this topic of Imago Dei either. The reason we know this is because politics cannot get this right. They had this uh, attempt way back in 1948. After all the world wars, they had this huge uh, get-together as a United Nations, and they came together and they said, we need to not go back to this. 
We can't go through these world wars again. We can't go back through Hitler and all these things that have happened in our past. And we need to make a correction to this because we as human beings can't survive another round of this. And so they came together in a failed attempt, I believe, in 1948, and they came up with what was called the Universal Declaration of Human Rights by the United Nations. And this 30-article document was written and established and sent out and translated all over the world, I believe close to 300 translations of this, of this document of Declaration of Human Rights in 1948. And, and I think history can just pretty much explain and tell us if we've got a document to explain the value of what it means to be human or what it is to be human, and we've had it since 1948, how's it going? <laughs> Right? I mean, if, we're all, if we all have access to it and it's available to us, why are we still as messed up as we were before? I believe if you get anything else out of this morning, it's because humanity is uniquely and purposely designed by God through a literal Adam and Eve for the flourishing protection and care of creation in one another. Here's our bottom line. We said every chapter we're going to try and sum up in one quick, easy statement— ish, uh, about what, it, what each chapter is all about. So here is my best attempt at chapter two. So if you were to put chapter two in a nutshell, this is my attempt at it. It has fallen. It is not accurate fully as far as getting everything out of chapter two, but I think we can get most of it out of this. Humanity is uniquely and purposely designed by God through a literal Adam and Eve for the flourishing protection and care of creation and one another. That's what we're going to see out of Genesis chapter two this morning. Let's begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, and then I believe this, you'll see how this is directly linked to Genesis chapter, chapter 2, verses 4 through 25. So, Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds and of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his, in his own image, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He says, this is man and this is woman. I create them. And he says, not only created them, I love verse 28, and he blessed them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and every living creature that moves on the earth. We are truly made in God's image. And as God's image bears, that means that we truly are kings and queens ruling over this world. He says, I want you not only to have, uh, I want you to live here, I want you to have dominion over it. If you were to go back in ancient times and you see this image of God, image of God was actually this word that was used in the, in the ancient Middle East as a, as a term that would basically describe their kings or their emperors or even pharaohs were images of God. They believe pharaohs were even gods themselves. So for God himself to come into this scenario and say, hey, guess what? I'm going to give you the very image of myself planted into humanity is a very big deal. We were created into his image. We'll see what this entails more in detail in verses 19 to 20 of chapter 2, but we see here we're made in his image. We are created male and female, and he gives us a specific gender by birth for us, and then he goes into what this all means by going into chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 4 through 6. Chapter 4, or sorry, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, the heavens, I'm sorry, earth and the heavens. 
when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist or spring you can either translate that either way was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground now, a couple key pieces that, that come out of this section. First off, in verse 4, some Easter eggs here. He says, these are the generations in verse 4. This is the same term you're going to see repeatedly throughout the book of Genesis. If you have your booklets, in the very front, you'll see here that, that many of the commentators will actually give you a breakdown of Genesis through generations. So he starts with in the beginning, and he gives you a generations account, a beginnings of creation. And here he's going to give you the generations of Earth's family. And he says, so in the beginning, these things, or these are the generations. You'll see that term throughout Genesis. These are the generations. It's a term that says these are the beginnings of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And the day that the, here's a key term, Lord God created them. This is huge, right? So Lord God is Yahweh Elohim. And so in this, and you may know this, so it's maybe a review, but Elohim is the plural form of God. And so if it says plural, that means we get our Trinity out of this word Elohim. It's the same word he, it's the same word he used to describe God in Genesis 1.1. But here we see it's tied to Yahweh. And as we studied Moses, we understand that Yahweh is this idea idea of relationship that is covenant, that is a starting of something new. So you have a starting of something new, covenant God tied with the Trinity together to give us this view of God who created, this is interesting, the earth and the heavens. So he switches now. It used to be heavens and earth, and now he switches the pattern to go, he's creating the earth and the heavens. You see, I believe Genesis chapter 2 is, full, is pulling in these, these days of humanity that, that were created in the first chapter. And you can get caught up in all the discrepancies. Well, I thought it said this in chapter 1, and the plants were springing up, and now they're not, and how does that work? I believe this is truly the account in Genesis 2 is not to give us a detailed explanation of one, but this is a detailed explanation of humanity itself. And the creator relational Trinity God is here in this place to give us what it means to be created in God's image. He continues in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man out of, from the dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. I believe, and this, our, our, the church would believe here at Community, that, that he not only created them, he created a literal Adam and a literal Eve. We believe that there is a literal mankind of Adam in, in chapter 1, verse 27. This, this word is, the word for Adam is the word Adam, man, here. So he sees he formed Adam from the dust, or, or mankind from the dust. We believe that that was on purpose. And then he also gives us male and female, Sakar and Naktaba, which is male and female. And then he gives us not only male and female, you'll see later in 23 that he says that he creates man, Ish, and woman, Isha, in Genesis chapter 2, 23, when speaking of husband and wife terms. And then not only on top of that, he also gives them proper names, Adam and Kavava which is Eve, and so he'll give them mankind, he'll give them 
female, male, and then he'll give us man and woman, and then he gives them literal specific names in Hebrew. And all of these words in Hebrew are unique to this. So therefore, I can come into this and say, I think there's a literal Adam and Eve just off Genesis chapter 2 because these are specific words for these specific pieces. He could have just said Adam the entire time, but he doesn't. He gives us specific words for specific reasons. This may be helpful, but Wayne Grudem gives us eight closed-handed issues when it comes to creation. We can fight and debate about a lot of things, but I fully would, would, would agree with this. In eight closed-handed issues, we would say you have to believe these things that we come to when it comes to creation. First, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all at work together in creation. Number two, God created the universe out of nothing. Number three, God created a spiritual universe. Number four, God created time. Number five, creation is distinct from God, but dependent upon God. God created to show his glory. God creation was very good. And number eight, God directly created Adam and Eve. I think all of those things we would have to say, we have to hold those if we're truly to understand scripture for what it is. And so there must be not only from this a literal Adam and Eve, but I also believe that the rest of the Bible will give you explanation of this as well. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, 22 to 45, we get this, verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ so shall all be made alive. Verses 45 to 49, pretty thorough explanation of this. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a living, giving spirit. And it is not Uh, I'm sorry, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth and the man of dust. The second man was from heaven, talking about Adam and talking about Christ. As was the man of dust, so also there are those who are made of dust. And as in the man of heaven, so also there are those who are from heaven. He says, just as all of us are human beings created from the dust, so also those who put your faith in Jesus Christ are Christians and those shall be in heaven together with him. Just as we've been born in the image of the man of dust, we, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We've been created in Adam's dust humanity. We can also be created in the likeness of Christ as we accept him and are transformed by him. Romans chapter 5, 12 to 13. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death separated to all men because of sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Romans five eighteen to 19. Therefore, as one trespasses led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's disobedience, the many were made righteous. Again, Adam is seen in Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15. He's seen in Jude 14. He's seen in 1 Timothy 2, Luke 3. All of these examples of a literal Adam Adam and Eve are given to us. And so we have to follow function and say, yes, these were actual human beings. And we can debate all the nuances around it, but ultimately we come to that assessment as we get into chapter two. We continue. So that's the first part. Some, so the, the one part of our section of the definition is a literal Adam and Eve. He continues on to give us even more information about our creation and this idea of being made in God's image. He continues in verses eight and nine of chapter two. And the Lord God, uh, he says, planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I don't know if we uh, could go back to Sunday school days or not, but uh, for those who grew up in church, you probably remember the tree of good and evil. We, we remember that one. 
Well, we often can forget that there were actually two trees in the garden. And the first tree, he says, is the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. In other words, there was a source for all life and all joy. And here's the beautiful thing about that tree of life that we know from Genesis chapter 1 or Genesis chapter 2 is that that tree of life was not off limits. The only tree off limits was the, the knowledge of good and evil, which is interesting. So how, how does that work? Well, it's interesting because I think God in his design not only creates Eden, a place for man to work and cultivate. He also gives us amazingly good things. He says the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. Before that, he says it was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The goodness of God here specifically telling us how good he is in creating us and in designing us. Bonhoeffer rightly observed that symbolically in the middle of Adam's world was not himself but life, the very presence of God. The tree of knowledge as a prohibition signifies that the man's limitations as creation is in the middle of existence, not the edge. He says the tree of life and good and evil were planted right in the middle because in the middle of all of our existence is the reality that we are dependent upon God for life and we have this choice of moral good and moral evil that can only be summed up or or met or conquered in God himself, which is crazy. He goes on. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havalah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good, and beryllium and, ox and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, and this, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. We can see from where we are even today, Today, we can probably we can find two of those rivers, but we can't find all four. It's almost as if there was a flood somehow that wiped out some rivers somewhere along the way, but that's later on in the story. There are rivers that God planted, and they would have been known probably by the people then to, to know exactly where those were, but those rivers flowed around, and there was life, and there was goodness, and there was riches that flowed out of those two rivers. Then, after the rivers, God gives two commands to Adam. One, I believe, is an unspoken command, and the other is a spoken command to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. I believe that's the first command. It's unspoken, but it was declared by God, Hey, Adam, here's your new role. You will care and keep and take care of this garden. You see, I think we often think when we get to heaven, it's just going to be sitting around playing harps with a bunch of, you know, baby cherubs with wings, um, which is a terrible image. <laughs> it's not true. It's not accurate. If I see babies with wings, it's going to be really disappointing to me. Um, but when we get to heaven, we assume somehow that when we get there, it's just going to be all worship all the time. And so if, if we have, we had, uh, I had new Christians um, all the time in church and, and they come to service and uh, depending on the church service that they were in and, and they said, so we're going to be doing this 24-7 for eternity. We're going to be sitting here listening to you preach, and, and there's going to be some worship. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's, there's going to be so much more than just that. Because honestly, from the very beginnings of creation, work was part of it. To which some of you in the room were like, yes. Others of you were like, I knew it. I knew it. Right? There was work, but there was goodness in it. There was good work involved in it. And it wasn't tedious, and it wasn't hard work. It was good work. And he says, this work was the first command unspoken by God to Adam. He says, keep it, work it, take care of it. 
Um, and then in 16, the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of, gar- of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So he goes on, he says he gives not only an unspoken Maui, he gives a spoken command to humanity, to Adam uh, here. Uh, and he says, I want you to not eat of this certain tree of good and evil. You shall not eat for the day that you eat it, you shall die. First command. You're going to learn more about what that looks like next week. Um, But for this week, we know that there are two commands given to Adam at the very beginning for which he was to follow. We continue in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no, not found a suitable helper. Uh, I'm sorry, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused him a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed it up in its place. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into woman and brought her to the man. Prior to this woman creation, we see this idea that there was creation that was happening, these, these, these creatures that were walking in front of Adam, and, and Adam was seeing every creature walk along, and there was not one suitable helper for him. You almost wonder... Uh, if, you're sta- if you're standing there with Adam, if he's watching all these animals go by, and he's like, giraffe one, giraffe two, two giraffes. Male, female. Interesting. There's two badgers. There's two iguanas. There's two whatever they are. And they just kind of keep passing in front of him. He's like, male, female, male, female, male. Huh. I wonder how long, like, this is just my, this is probably inaccurate. However, I almost wonder sometimes, like, how long did it take Adam before he's like, couple, 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 couple. Hey, God, um, they got somebody. What about me, right? I mean, there, there just, just seems like just, there's just not this awareness, and maybe it's just true of all of us as men. There's just not an awareness, but, but there's something that isn't good here. He's like, this is, this is good for them, but it's not good for me. There was no suitable helper found for Adam. They all had the breath of life, they all were given this created life. This nepes is what the Hebrew word is. But they didn't have what Adam had, and that's the ruch. It's a fun word to say, isn't it? It's the soul, it's the spirit that Adam had that, that none of these other animals had. They were created beings, but they were not humanity. You see, there's a big difference between created beings here and what we are as human beings. We are the only thing in existence that have soul. To put this in a way that maybe makes sense, I was thinking about this, and, and, and as I was preparing, and I thought, you know, my dog is weird. Um, he, he, he has this thing, and I don't know if you've seen it in him or not, but he does this thing where he licks all the time. Like, it's, it's so annoying. And every time, every room you walk into, I was literally in there this week, and I, I was standing at the counter, and I was working on something, and all of a sudden, at the bottom of my pant leg, I hear, lil, 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 lil. and it's just like my leg is getting licked on a repeated basis. I'm like, dude, knock it off. 
And so he walks away, and I think it's over, and then all of a sudden he starts licking the screen door. And I'm like, what is wrong with my dog? And he goes to the other room. Still, same thing. Lick, 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 lick. It is the most annoying thing at night where you're trying to get some sleep or something next to you, and you're You're like, what is wrong with our dog? Well, they say it's actually anxiety, right? I mean, they're just kind of a nervous thing. And so I can't go to my dog and say, Barkley, here's the deal, bro. You need to take all of your anxieties and cast them upon Jesus because he's the only one who can solve your doggy anxiety, and you have to do that. You have to surrender all of it to him. How's that going to go? It's not going to go well. The dude's going to be like, oh, 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 oh. Because, because there's nothing there, right? I can't make him do that. When he is sitting over our dinner plates and he's drooling, literally drooling over these plates because he's coveting my dinner, I can't go to him and say, bro, the Ten Commandments says thou shalt not covet. So you just need to stop sinning and take that sin to Jesus and he can cure all of this for you. Somebody has said there, there's no police reports that happen in the Sahara Desert, right? Animals killing each other. It's not like you, you witness this thing of a lion killing an antelope in the Sahara, and there's a police report. Okay, who started it? This guy? Did he look at you funny? What was going? No, I was hungry, and I ate him. That's how it works in the animal kingdom. I don't worry about his feelings, his thoughts. We don't have a discussion about who's going to take the first bite. We don't do that. It's just normal instinct I'm hungry, I eat, there's no police report found anywhere in the Sahara Desert because they are not created as we are created. Because we are created in the image of God, we are given not just life and breath, we are given a soul, and that is what makes us distinct in all of creation. And because we are made in His image, we can exercise authority, we can connect on a deeper level, we can control and or tame our instincts, I hope. Um, we, we can process joy and loss. And when we all get nervous and we start licking, we can take our anxiety to Jesus and say, if I'm anxious, I can take it to one who can solve my anxiety because I'm not, thankfully, like Joel's dog, right? We have this ability to turn to Christ and take these things because of the unique nature of who we are. Not only are we unique in how we're created, we're going to see here now there's a uniqueness to our design and then our companionship. So again, all that was, there's no suitable helper. So he says, I want you to find a suitable helper. So he makes us unique here in pointing to marriage in verses 21 to 25. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and he closed it in its place in flesh. And the rib of that, Lord, that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into woman and he brought her to the man. So he forms woman out of us, and then Adam does what every good guy should do after he sees woman for the first time. He writes a poem and a love song to her, and he says, This, the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. See, he even rhymed it. He even used words that kind of made, like, rhyming. Anyway. Um, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Ish, isha. Like he's, he's like, I could do this. I can make this work. And, and she was probably like, what? First love song in creation right here. The last bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. And therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not 
a shame. You see, marriage was a unique Christian value designed by God at the beginning of creation. You will not see these words, specifically man or woman as he uses them here, outside of the context of marriage throughout your Bible. It's interesting, isn't it? He says, I'm giving you unique words for the unique thing that is happening here. It is a unique design that man and woman should be bound to one another in a unique way. And therefore, we have the first marriage here in Genesis chapter 2. Again, a unique part of being made in God's image. All of chapter 2, though, we can see fully that we are unique, designed by God himself. We see a relational and an intentional God who, as we said last week, is all-powerful creator who created all things to flourish under his good and loving rule. If you remember that from last week, that was kind of chapter one. We were designed by a powerful creator who created all things to flourish under his good and loving rule. Now, this week, add on top of that is who he is, and he created humanity, and humanity is uniquely and purposely designed by God through a literal Adam and Eve for the flourishing, for the protection and care of creation and one another. That is, in a nutshell, what we get out of Genesis chapter 2. Now, you can look at that and you say, okay, good, that's a lot of deep theology, it's a lot of good information, Uh, I can process that, take that home. But ultimately, Joel, what does that mean for me on a regular basis? What does it mean that humanity is uniquely and purposely designed by God through a literal Adam and Eve for the flourishing protection and care of one another's in creation? What does that mean for me on a Monday? What does that mean for me as I move into the world? Let me give you a couple things big, and then let me move into something small as we close this morning. Big picture, being made in God's image, application. What does this look like? This is so needed in our culture today, and it is so lacking in so many areas of debate that are around us currently right now. Imago Dei, made in God's image, shines into the refugee crisis. It just does. It, it means that we are, we are seeing them as human beings. And we can fight over which, which side we're going to land on politically. But we think we have to come together on as a, as a, as a nation, as a, as a people of God, as Christians who follow Christ, as disciples of him. We have to say these are still people made in his image. You can see Imago Dei in the refugee crisis. You can see Imago Dei in the pornography addiction that is around us on a regular basis. The mistreatment of humanity. The taking something made in God's image and just turning it into an image worth my own consumption. You can see it clearly in slave trafficking. That is a huge issue today. We, we thought that had gone away. We thought that was an old thing. Unfortunately, it is still here and it is still real. And these are the huge issues that Imago Dei shines into. You can see it not only in slave trafficking, it is a huge issue when it comes to abortion that we are created in the image of the Creator. And so taking the life of a, a, a person born in God's image is a big deal. You see it in, in gender debates right now, in, in all the things that are in your social media, and all the things that are popping up. It's a huge issue right now. Because it's the question of, do we get to choose, or does God get to choose, who we were intended to be by design? And as you have those conversations, you can get into all the debating of them again. But here's the reality. We have to go back to treating them, whether they disagree with us or not, as made in the image of God. We just can't silo them off into a world where we don't talk to them or deal with them because they don't agree with us. 
We have to see them as a human being and not an issue. I think we've gotten so consumeristic as a nation that we just consume information and then we just basically create our own little silos and we forget that God has called us to other human beings, not other issues that we can agree or disagree with. There are human beings that are made in the image of God like ourselves. And though they may not have Christ in their life, we are still bound to treat them as imago Dei, made in the image of God himself. So that's kind of some big picture, right? That's some some large scale. Can we just remember that the next time we want to post something, the next time we want to say something, the next thing, next time we want to just kind of go off on a tangent, can we just remember they were created in the image of God himself like we were? But even closer to home, let me let me just kind of bring this into reality for us even here. And as we head into the fall and winter months, as school and sports are beginning for most of us, and we're wondering what's going to be coming next, what, what, what regulations are we going to have, what, what things are going to be flowing down the pike on us, and, and all these things of, of, of COVID and things of last year to this year. And many of us are probably in the same boat. We don't want to recreate last year because here's what last year brought. Last year brought a whole lot of division, a whole lot of not being made in Christ's image views, a lot of just, I'm going to take this stance and this issue. Last year brought a whole lot of fear and a whole lot of self-preservation and whenever there's a whole lot of fear and a whole lot of self-preservation in us, it makes us really ugly people, does it not? Amen? Just, maybe it's just me? Okay. It turns me into a really ugly person. When I just worry about myself and my family and my kids and my priorities and my whatever I have to do and, and fear adds on top of that, I turn into a really ugly person. And so as we head forward into this fall, let me just kind of say, when we talk about Imago Day and this huge, large concept that I could never do justice to in the amount of time we have, can I just point us back to maybe something simple as your schedule? As we look towards the fall and as we look towards the winter, can I just maybe put this as an application point for us this morning? As you look at your schedule, do, do you, could you put like a... We, your, your pools maybe still be open, and you have the, the this strip that goes in. I'm not even sure what they're called, but you stick them into the pool, right? <laughs> and you pull them back out and tells you how much chlorine level and all the different— that's all I know, chlorine level. That's all I got. You put it in, and that's all I check. So um, you, you pull it out, and there's a, there's a list of things that it checks. Basically, you dip it in. It tells you what your, your environment is. What if you were to take the proverbial <laughs> stick, and you kind of dip it into your schedule? You take this Imago Day concept— do I, do I have time for people in my schedule? And I, and I dip it into my schedule, and you pull it back out. What's the reading look like in your schedule? Are you so busy that you've missed the people in your schedule? Has your schedule kind of dictated to you your pace, your emotions, your franticness? Or, or can you truly look at your schedule and say, you know what? I am not going to allow my calendar to tell me the worth of the next human being next to me. I'm not going to allow my calendar to dictate the value of my family. I'm not going to dictate the, the schedule my, that I put in place. I'm not going to allow it to, to, to seep into those worlds. I want us to think as we, as we head into the fall and as we head into the winter, we are going to need each other more than we ever have in the past. We're going to need to learn our lesson from last year and not worry for me personally. This is just out there for you to, to hear. I, I don't want to worry so much about Sunday mornings as I did last year. Like, are they going to happen? Are they not? How are we going to make them happen? How are they going to work? I don't want to spend all my time and resources into that world. 
What I want to spend my time in this fall and winter in is, is in you all as people. And, and, and putting my schedule to say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about all the things that have to get done to make that happen. I want to worry about, are we making the right connections with each other? Are we there for one another? Are we listening to one another? Are we taking things to one another in love and saying, man, I was just thinking about you today. I'm just bringing you coffee because I, I love you and I appreciate you. That's, I just want you to know it. Are we stopping by people's homes and just kind of, you know, stopping in and saying, hey, I just want you to know I care about you. Are we sending texts? Are we sending emails? Are we making phone calls to say, I, I, I want you to know I am for you in this moment. And we can be all over the place on what we're going to be getting into this fall. But ultimately, if we are going to be made in God's image, the biggest thing we can do to live out in this fall is to make room in our schedules for that. And here's what I know about that when I say that. One, you're kind of thinking that's impossible. <laughs> one, one, some of you are probably thinking that's impossible. That sounds really good, Joel, and you can say that from the stage because you have a microphone. But ultimately, if you were to look at my schedule, I want you to show me, show me <laughs> where people fit in my schedule to where I would probably look at your schedule and I would see the other thing in it and I would say, there's people here, 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 there's people here. There's people all over your schedule. You've just gotten so caught up in the task, you haven't missed the people in the process. Still do the task, you've just missed the person doing the task. Well, I've got this thing to plan. Well, who's part of the planning party with you? Well, it's just me. We'll get somebody else in the planning party. Well, then it won't be my party. Well, deal with it. <laughs> but then I'm not in control. Exactly. I'm bringing people in beside it. Well, what about my kids? I've got my kids' schedule and sports schedule and everything like that. So you're at your kids' sports schedule. Cool. That's awesome. How many games you got? Oh, man, our games are racked. I mean, if you've seen my schedule, I'm like, every, I'm like an Uber driver this fall more than I'm anything else, right? I'm just driving everywhere. Who's at who's who's the, the, the uh, seat next to you at the soccer game? Who's the person next to you at the basketball game? They're made in God's image. They are human next to you, human, right? There's, there's simple things you could do. There's a coworker that you could probably take to lunch. There's, there are people you could put into your schedule. There are people at this church who need you in their life throughout this fall to make a connection to say, I'm here for you. I care about you. I want to be in your world. Now, some of your schedules re- retaliate. Some of you, you're looking at me and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's great for you to say, Mr. Out There, talk to everybody kind of guy. But what about me? I don't like talking to people. I don't like people in general. I just don't like them. Like I just, you know, give me an afternoon and what I'm going to do is going to just go to my garage, turn on my TV and just sit. That's what I want to do. I'm actually going to close the garage door, even though it's 90 degrees, because I don't want anybody in there with me, right? I don't like people, okay? Awesome. You got more work to do, bro, right? Because here's what you get to do. You get to find a person that you tolerate and you get to at least act like you like them just for a season, just to see how it goes. You know, my pastor was preaching about this thing, this weird word I don't understand, and he said I have to spend time with you. So when? Like tomorrow, next week? When are we doing this? Because apparently he's not going to stop. Like I just got to do this. So when do we want to do this? Let's put it on the calendar now fine, right? Great, start there. I don't care. I don't care if you resent me in this process. This is part of the human process. This means I care for a person next to me, even though my schedule is telling me I can't or don't have time to. Even though I'm an extrovert or introvert, it doesn't matter. It matters simply that you see the human possibility next to you. If you're to look at Jesus, and I'll close with this, as we look at Jesus, how often was he just with people? How often was he just around people? How often did he just care for those around him? No agenda, just putting people into his life. Because ultimately, the benefit is 
as you get to know somebody and dive into their life, I'm telling you, it doesn't seem like it, but I'm telling you, it's so worth the investment of other people in your life. Because your schedule will never reward you the way a human conversation will. You, can dis- you, you, you have to look at your, your, your schedule and say, I'm declaring a finish line and a stopping point here so that I can do what I'm really called to do, created in God's image, treat other people as a human being, and have conversation with them. Now, let me close. I said that four times. I just caught that. I'm really going to close this time. Um, as we think of this idea of Imago Dei, um, I, I think we as a people have been through a lot in this last month. Um, we as a church have been through a lot. Um, there are many here this morning who have been through plenty. So as we think of Imago Dei, maybe that person next to you is maybe the person that God's calling you to. Maybe you need to hear from those around you to be like, hey, they are really hurting and they just need somebody next to them. Because if there's anything I know, even from the worship this morning, it's, it's the fact that many of us have been through some really hard things in the last couple weeks and months, and we are going to need one another more than we ever have in this season. So I'm going to have the team come up, and I want us to go out singing a song we already did, because I want us to go out in a declaration statement. Because many of you are walking through some really hard things, and I know this because we've had conversations. Um, and I, I love this song because it, it, it's a statement of, I'm going to trust that God is going to do something even when I don't know what it is, even when I don't really want to do what he's asking me to do, I'm going to trust that he is going to do it. So as we close out, would you stand with me as, as we close? I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for those people that God's going to bring into your life this fall that you're going to have to carve time into because they, they were created in the image of God and so were you, and he's asking you to go to them. So let me go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that we are created in your image. That means we are kings and queens of you. It means you've given us rule and dominion and power, but you've also given us responsibility and care for creation. You've given us responsibility and care for one another in this room. God, even for those who are members of Community Bible Church, you've given us even more responsibility to care for those beside us. And here's the reality. I know that many in this room have been through a lot. Some of us that we're even standing this morning is a win. And so I pray this morning over them. I pray that you would meet them this morning through this time as we close in worship, reminding them that they are sons and daughters of you if they have a relationship with you. And for those who may be here this morning and maybe new to this thing, and I'm not really sure I accept Christ or I've ever done that, I pray this morning this would be that time. They would surrender to their king and turn their entire life over to you. Father, I pray this morning that we would care for one another well because we are created in your image and do as you do. In your name we pray. Amen.